Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's Eye Critical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Weinstein. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with the Society's 2015 President, Craig M. Coopersmith, MD, FCCM. Dr. Coopersmith is the Associate Director of the Emory Center for Critical Care and Professor and Vice Chair of Surgery at Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Coopersmith, thank you so much for joining us, and, and congratulations on your presidency. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Perhaps you can just start by giving us an overview of your presidential address, and that'll help us get an idea of where we're going in the year. Sure. So I talked about three or four different major themes in the presidential address. The first theme was about mentorship, and I used my personal two mentors, Tim Buckman, who is the new editor-in-chief of critical care medicine, and my boss for an awful lot of years, as well as Richard Hotchkiss. And I use personal stories about their my mentorship, their mentorship of me to talk about uh, playing it forward and about how I got to where I am in large part because of mentorship and urging everybody in the audience really to do the same, that hopefully one has their own mentors, but it's equally important to teach and take the next generation forward because that's how our specialty and that's how our society moves forward. The next theme I had, and I think I probably said more than half the presidential address talking about it, was about research. A few years ago, our president, Cliff Deutschman, got up and gave his presidential address on SCCM's research agenda. And a lot of what I said yesterday was the culmination of multiple hard years of work on our research agenda and our new and invigorated commitment to research. And really, I'm talking about research of all times, and be it basic science or translational or clinical or outcomes or epidemiological, and a number of new initiatives, which I'm happy to discuss further. The third thing I spoke about was a further understanding of post-intensive care syndrome and what we plan to do about it as a society. Historically, I think all of us as critical care professionals have been happy and we've thought we've done our job when somebody leaves the ICU and we do a little victory dance where we do a high five and we say how great we are. And of course, we realize now that that's not the end of the line. A lot of patients do get better and go home and a lot of patients don't get all the way better. And they end up with uh, cognitive or mental or physical problems that can last for months or years. And as a society, we really want to be a leader in understanding that and saying that the ICU doesn't end when one leaves the ICU. That's something like Chris Farmer talked about in his presidency last year, uh, the ICU without walls and the continuum of critical care going from preventive to in the hospital to, frankly, post-hospital. We talked about a new major initiative we have in the post-ICU. And then finally, I thanked everybody in the room because the truth is I'm here solely as a steward and a guide of our specialty, but it's our 16,000 members who really, and our 1,800 volunteers, who really are the heroes of critical care. Well, thank you. That's a great overview. And as you alluded to, it would be great to hear about some of the new initiatives, especially around the post-intensive care syndrome. Sure. So I'll, I'll talk again. I, I, I announced three different initiatives from the stage and thank our council and board of directors for approving these. The first two had to do with research and the third one had to do with the post-intensive care syndrome. So starting with research, I announced that we're doubling the amount of money that we're giving out in grants to support research. And as I said, we're, we're putting our money where our values lie. We made a large commitment to really increasing our foothold in research and because of that, we are doubling the amount of money we're giving. The next thing I announced was the formation of the SCCM Wild Research Trust. And what we're doing is forming a million-dollar endowment in order to, uh, in perpetuity, increase our amount of research funding and our research footprint within the society. 
this is separate from the two and a half million dollars of research grants that we get from outside partners. And I went over a huge host of different partners, including the and led by the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation and the American Hospital Association and the AHRQ and the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine and the Hellman Family Foundation and the Adventist Health System. And I apologize if I've forgotten any since I am <laughs> truly doing this off of the top of my head. But the SCCM Weil Research Trust is meant to honor our first president, Max Harry Weil, who was truly a visionary and had all three components of pillars of academic life, both uh, patient care, obviously, and education and discovery and innovation. And in order to honor him, we've taken a million dollars out of our reserve funds, and we've made it an endowment. So in perpetuity, we will have a new way of funding research in a way that we've never done before. And the third major initiative, and the one that he was just asked about, is something called Thrive. And Thrive is a three-year, million-dollar project that we're starting specifically based at the post-intensive care syndrome. And this is based at a combination of patients and their families and is geared towards survivors. It's going to be a combination of in-person and online support groups. And we're just in the discovery phases of this right now about how to implement this. And there'll also be a research component in that we will be funding a new research grant specifically to look at ways to optimize recovery and or ameliorate the symptoms of post-intensive care syndrome. But again, it's, it's a change in focus, if you will, and that it's not within the walls of the ICU. And it's really aimed at survivors of critical illness with the understanding that historically this has been a fairly invisible thing. And that, if anything, makes it even worse because there's nobody to talk to. There are no survivor networks or groups such as there are with you know, cancer or other diseases. People leave the ICU and there's no place to follow up. There's no follow-up clinic. There's no word for it. There's no ribbon. There's no race for something. And they go on and having these horrible problems for months or years, and nobody talks about it, and nobody acknowledges it, and there's no place to get a coordinated care. And so as a starting place, we're putting a million dollars into these survivor networks. Again, a combination of in-person and online things that we hope is going to grow into a massive, massive program that will have families involved and patients involved and foundations involved and lots and lots of different stakeholders involved downrange to use the cancer model as an example of when one is a cancer survivor, they have all kinds of opportunities open to them. And we could use that as a role model that hopefully we could do a similar thing in critical care. And obviously a million dollars doesn't get us all the way there, but it is really a tremendous start in the society on the start of the society. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I think our society has had a longstanding engagement with the public and folks about critical illness, and this is certainly even a further extension of that. Yeah, we're really proud of the work that we've done in the post-intensive care syndrome. You know, the, the task force a few years ago coined the term, and they've really taken all the literature that there is there and published it and have really given us a call to arms about what we can do, and we clearly can do better. And the Council of SCCM heard this, and we heard our members that this is really the next frontier in critical care to understand that SCCM is not just about what happens in the ICU. It's about the patient. It's about their families along the entire continuum of care. And we're hoping to be a leader into the next generation of something which has really been woefully under understood, and we hope to make tremendous differences. <laughs> Well said. Thank you. What are your expectations for your presidency and where the society will be going in the next year? Well, my expectations for the presidency are to be a steward of the society and to help guide it. But really, although I'm the one who gets to talk and give podcasts, 
Um, I'm nothing more than a reflection of our 16,000 membership. So what I hope to do is listen to our membership and reflect what their needs and desires are and to move it forward. Our biggest initiatives are the ones that I outlined in my presidential address that are different, are the reinvigorated commitment to research of all kinds and the Thrive Initiative towards post-intensive care syndrome. But of course, we're going to continue on with our sort of key core programs because we're, our, our main focus, that is, are the patient in the bed in front of us who needs our care right here, right now. And that's never going to change. And we're going to continue on with multiple things within the sepsis domain, within the pain agitarium delirium domain. We're going to continue our fundamentals course, our FCCS and PFCCS, and our fundamentals of disaster management touched more people last year than it's ever touched worldwide ever before. Our board review courses are now given in 10 different countries in addition to the United States and also hit a record high number of people we touched. And so our core programs are present and expanding our core missions of helping the patient in the bed here in the United States and around the world are here and expanding. And now we're also increasing our scope. So it will always be about the patient who's right here in front of us. But it's also about the patient once they leave the ICU. And it's also going to be about the patient that we haven't met yet, but we can't help. Maybe we'll be able to help one day. There are probably a lot of folks listening who perhaps are new members or have been members, but not tremendously involved in society. And folks may be wondering how they can get involved and perhaps even wondering, as you mentioned in your presidential address, maybe how, how can I find a mentor within the society? So th- there's multiple ways. And, and we very much want every single person who wants to be involved, we will find a place for you and we will find a home for you. First place to get involved is within your own section. So everybody can pick up to three sections. Historically, people will pick their primary specialty as their primary section, but a lot of times people will have an interest in more than one thing. I personally am in the surgery section since I'm trained as a surgeon, and I'm also in the research section since that's a passion of mine. I'll know people who are respiratory therapists who will be in the respiratory therapy section and in the internal medicine section, and maybe they work in the surgical ICU and they want to be in the surgical section or nurses who are pediatric nurses and are both in the nursing session and the pediatric session. So it's a great place to get involved is within your section, and a lot of people move up through their own sections with a specialty specific within our global umbrella of critical care. But then fairly shortly, there'll be a call for announcements for committees, and I urge everybody to join a committee. Not everybody can be on the program committee and plan the annual meeting, but everybody assuredly can find a home on a committee. And if you look at our website, it has our over 60 different committees that one can be on to be a part of a membership in SCCM. And if you look at the various things and see what matches your skill set and you fill out an application, we are very passionately committed to forwarding the volunteerism of our members because there are costs are our lifeblood. And we especially encourage the young people because they're the next generation. So find a mentor in your section, find a mentor in a committee, find a mentor of somebody you just know who's older than you in the society who said, this is how I did it, and then volunteer and get involved. And the more you do, the more opportunities will become available to you. I can certainly speak as from a, from a personal experience. Every word you said is absolutely true, and it was very easy to get involved in society years ago, and I can certainly see it's still the same. So I encourage everyone to do the same as well. It sounds as though the audience would like to hear something about you that maybe we don't 
apparently know or is not self-evident <laughs> if you care to disclose. <laughs> well, uh, the most important thing about me, of course, is my family. And for those who saw my presidential address, as I said it, my tremendously wonderful wife and incredibly two cool children were there. I have a 13-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old son. My parents were there as well. And as we talk about mentors, I was incredibly blessed to have them in the crowd because really the first mentors and most important mentors you'll ever have are, in fact, your parents. I am a guitar player. And if those were people who were listening closely, I, I did, in fact, pick all the music at the opening reception, which my understanding had a lot of tweets about it. And in fact, I did come onto stage to Spirit of Radio by Rush. And yes, that was me doing air guitar. And I've heard multiple comments about that, although I've been asked if I was imitating John Oliver or Uncle Buck. I was not. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was playing air guitar. And if you were listening very closely, although we didn't advertise it, the music that I went off stage to as well as the music that everybody left the auditorium on, was actually my band. Oh, so, it was? Oh, yes, great. it was. So. How long have you been in a band? Well, the truth is, it was my band from high school. Wow. And now we are all grown up and we all have real jobs. I'm, of course, the only one in medicine. And each year we go to the beach for two weeks each summer. Now with our wives and children, and we write and record a new song every single summer. So That's incredible. So you got back together after all these years from high school? Or? So we've been doing this... So we, we did it throughout, we played throughout high, high school and college and most of medical school. And then we would start getting together on weekends when we, I was in Philadelphia and they lived in DC and we were pretty close to each other. Then we started recording remotely and now what we do, it's, I guess since my, just before my daughter was born, so 14 years in a row now, we've gone to the beach and we now have six adults and five children and there's multiple rooms, but there's always a separate room for the music where we bring a whole bunch of musical equipment, and each year we write and record a new song. It used to be pretty difficult when the kids were babies and everybody had to clear out the house for us, and now that the youngest boy there is my daughter, who's 13, it's actually pretty simple and yeah. makes it fun. So uh, I guess there are at least 14 new songs. There are indeed, and in fact, if anybody was listening closely on the way out, it was actually my wife singing. Oh, neat, neat. Your kids like the music? My daughter loves it. My son wishes it were more screamo heavy metal. <laughs> Great. Is there anything else that you'd like to relate to the listeners or about yourself or about the society or about plans for the future? Oh, what I would just say is I, I think SCCM is the greatest society in the world. What we do together is really extraordinary. And this is a place that we leave our specialty behind, our profession behind. And we work exactly as we do in the ICU. In the ICU, it's all about the patient. And to take care of the patient, it's all about the team. And as I talked about in my presidential address, it's all members of the multidisciplinary team, multi-professional team. It's nurses and pharmacists and respiratory therapists and physicians and physician assistants and dietitians and all of us working together. And, and I finished yesterday with, you know, the trick question, who's the most important person in the room? And of course, it's a trick question because the most important person in the room, of course, is the patient. And the most important member of the team is nobody because it is the team. And we are the organization that's totally about the team. And I encourage each of you to get involved. And I'll do everything I can do to be a steward and our guide of our society in the next year. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to serve. Great. Well, thank you so much. And we wish uh, a very prosperous year. Thank you very much. This concludes another edition of the I Critical Care Podcast. For the I Critical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Michael Weinstein. Michael S. Weinstein, MD, FACS, FCCP, serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Weinstein is associate professor of surgery at Jefferson Medical College in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
He is director of the Surgical ICU and executive medical co-director of the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital Programs for Critical Care. His clinical and academic interests relate to palliative care integration in the intensive care unit, medical ethics, diaphragmatic pacing, and spinal cord injury. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.